heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are locked on women's basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. I uh, helps more people listen to and hear about the world of women's basketball, something very important to me and I'm sure to you as well. And somebody very important to the world of women's basketball is joining us from a late evening in Turkey, uh, Marissa Coleman, uh, star on and off the court. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. The place I would love to start with you is just your earliest memories of playing basketball. What first led you to fall in love with the game? Uh, growing up, I, I come from an athletic background. Both of my parents are pretty heavily involved in sports. My mom still plays tennis. My dad plays golf. So they just put us in any and every sport. And basketball just ended, ended up being the one that I, I loved and stuck with. The the particulars of your game, you've always had this versatility. Does that come from playing guard earlier on and having a later growth spurt? What what exactly do you think accounts for that? And where when did you pick up that ability to be comfortable bringing the ball up, the two or the three, even even guard and force at times? Uh, I think I'll credit my my dad for a lot of that. He uh, growing up, he never wanted me to have a set position. So hmm. when you know little league and and middle school he always had me playing uh, multiple positions just so I definitely you know credit that to my versatility be able to play multiple positions when you got to University of Maryland to be on such a young team how did you know and when did you know that you guys were going to exceed expectations and get to the point where you know you capture a championship in your freshman year I think the fact that we all we are we all were so young played a big part in us being so successful early on. It's just you know we were naive. We went into college not really knowing what to to expect. I mean, obviously knowing it is going to be a challenge, but kind of ready to conquer conquer everything. So I think that helped us uh, with our success early on. Um, not really having any fears, just going in. You know what's the worst that can happen. So you know those those championship moments felt like just any other game for us you know when i've talked to brenda earlier this year and and to destiny slocum as well the conversation was about just putting the ball in her hands and giving an opportunity to run she's never really been concerned about where a player was in her college career it was about what the player can do did you have a particular aha moment like that early on with brenda I think that's one of the things that makes Coach B so great is, like like you said, it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a senior, she's going to instill that confidence in you no matter what. Um, I think for the group that I played with, mm-hmm. when we knew it was going to be special, was my freshman year we played in a tournament in the Virgin Islands, and it was the year after Michigan State came out their Final Four run. Tennessee was in the tournament. Gonzaga was there that year, and they, you know, they were a really good team. And mm-hmm. uh, we ended up playing Tennessee in the the championship game of the tournament and it came down to a final shot. So I think, you know, we were all super disappointed, obviously wanting to win that, that game in that tournament. But, um, the silver lining was, man, like we competed with some great teams 
in this tournament and, and fell up short on a last a last second shot. So I think that was kind of the moment where we all knew that that we had uh, it was the beginning of something special. That's really interesting. I, do you do you watch the current team? Have you had a chance to be able to keep up with uh, this this uh, current version? I've seen a few games. It's hard with me being in Turkey with the time difference. A lot of other games come on like four and five in the morning. But um, when I was home for the holidays, I was able to watch the the UConn game, and there was another. I can't remember who else they played, but I've I've been able to see a few. So the comparison I've heard is Shatori Walker Kimbrough as a comparison to your game. Do you see that, and and what overlaps do you see there? Um, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I see if I see the comparisons and I, I, I hate comparing past and present players because it takes away, you know, Shatori is a great player and to compare her to anybody other than Shatori takes away from her game uh, to compare destiny any, to anybody, but destiny, it takes away from her game. I, I think they're all great players. That's a, that's and, a, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. and you know, Shatori just, you see her, her growth over her four years. Um, it's been amazing. It's just nothing but, uh, her hard work that's got her to where she is. I, I mean, I remember her coming her freshman year. They would leave her wide open to sh- to shoot jump shots, and now you got you got to guard her. Or she's going to hit her. She's shooting like ridiculous numbers. So that's nothing uh, but her hard work over the past four years. No question about it. Do Do you think that Maryland is a legitimate threat to win the national championship? You talked about the Connecticut game. I covered that game, and that game went down to the final minute. They were right there, frankly, with UConn last year as well, the the Brianna Stewart senior season. Do you see them as a legitimate threat to win the national title? Oh, for sure. And obviously I'm biased, but I mean, <laughs> if you look at, if you look, look at what, you know, all the weapons that Maryland has this year, um, they're hard to defend. They, they can score and bunch. And that's something that, you know, Maryland's always been about. We've always had teams that can, that can, that can score. So I definitely think in the, they have an advantage that some teams don't. You know, they have played UConn this year, so they, they know what to expect. And maybe they got those that, those first game jitters out playing playing them. So if they see them again, you know, they they already have that last game to look back on. I, I think you're right. Uh, and I'm coming from not an area of bias, so I'm <laughs> happy to second it. I would love to talk to you about last season. And, you know, you're coming off of an all-star appearance in 2015, and I know we talked actually during the year about the frustrations you felt with uh, the shooting slump that you were having. You did find a way through it and out of it. And I'm wondering, A, how you did so, and B, what you feel like you learned about your process by doing it. Yeah, last year was a, a pretty frustrating season for me uh, personally. Just like you said, not shooting the ball well uh, for majority of the season. But just persistence and trying not to get too high or, or get too low is definitely frustrating. And it's one of those things that it was hard for me to pinpoint. I, I literally tried everything. I would shoot, get tons of extra shots up. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't work. So then I would not get extra shots up. That didn't work. So, you know, I really I tried everything. And it just one day before uh, Olympic break, actually, I had, a, I had a good game and shots were starting to fall. And that was kind of the turning point. Yeah, that that final game where, uh, and for a conversation that ended up being about a lot of other things and things beyond basketball, that game in New York really felt like and seemed like a turning point for you as well. It, it really is just a light going on with the shot. There's there's nothing beyond that. There's no particular way that you think you've 
determined that you know this is how I can combat a shooting slump in the future? I think with with most athletes, especially you know in the college and the professional level, it gets to the point that you've been doing it so long. So if you're in these slumps, it's usually between your ears is is the problem. It has nothing to do with your mechanics or anything like that. It's just it's all in your mind, and it definitely did get to the point with me where I was overthinking everything instead of you know just catching and shooting the ball. It's like oh I hope this goes in or you know, instead of just doing what I normally do you know I've been playing basketball for so long now it's, it's muscle memory memory so a lot of the times when any athlete in any sport when they're in slumps it's, it has more to do with the mentality and the, and the mental than the mechanics that's really interesting it, it's you know watching your shot and such a quick release and something that I really enjoy a lot but you had talked about, and this was during your all-star season, also finding those opportunities uh, off of screens. And it seemed like the offense didn't provide those same opportunities in 2016. Uh, did you see it that way? And do you feel like when that's such a huge part of what uh, Pokey Chapman does, that that's a real opportunity to grow and even further develop your offensive game now back, uh, back with the fever? Oh, for sure. Um, I'm excited about about Pokey. I've I've spoken with her a few times uh, since they announced uh, her hiring, and just her being excited to coach me and 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 me being excited to play for her. She uh, that All Star year that you were just talking about, she was the coach, and mm-hmm. I remember she pulled me to the side and, and made a point to congratulate me and, and say how proud she was, and she's always admired my game for, from afar. So just just knowing that, kind of going into the season that she she already has an appreciation for my game and is excited to coach me. I, I have a feeling it's going to help me and, like you said, take my game to to another level. I don't want to leave the conversation about last season without pointing this out. It went back into uh, Synergy stats and took a look at it, and they confirmed what you, you, know, you could see anecdotally as well, which is that your defense took a dramatic leap last season forward. You were actually, in terms of points per possession allowed, second best on the fever, behind only brand January, and ahead of uh, a certain Tamika Catchings, who's known for it. I'm wondering, can, you, can you repeat that? You said you, had, you said ahead of Tamika Catchings, correct? Uh, that's correct. <laughs> uh, ahead of Tamika Catchings. And so, to me, I think that's something that got lost in the shuffle with a lot of the conversation uh, about the shooting slump. What do you think allowed you to find that level of effectiveness on the defensive end? Well, I knew if I wasn't shooting well, I needed to do something well to, <laughs> to stay on the floor. So those were, you know, and you mentioned catch. Some One of the things, many things I learned from her playing with her for three years is the intangible. She does all, I mean, you, you look, she puts numbers on the on the board. She, she rebounds. She does all the analytical and statistical things but what really makes made her so special makes her so spe- special are intangible so that was definitely something that you know I learned from her is if you're in a slump if you're not shooting well if you're not you know having the best game there's always little things that you can do to affect the game so those moments in those games where I wasn't shooting well or I wasn't playing well offensively I knew if I wanted to stay on the court that I needed to defend and rebound so those were definitely things I focused on uh during my my slump in my shooting. So the thing that Catch always came back to in our conversations was that she wanted to transfer her leadership over. And, you know, I've seen games, I, I, I remember a playoff game where it was as if collectively the group 
all captured her energy. And it was in New York. It was a game you guys weren't supposed to win. And you came out and utterly dominated the Liberty uh, in a huge way. I wonder whether you think that is transferable, number one. And number two, whether you feel a responsibility to be a significant part of the effort to keep that energy as part of what the Fever do. I think Catch is, is one of a kind. I don't think there will ever be another one of hers, at least in our lifetime, mm-hmm. just because she brought so much to the game on and off the court. But it's definitely going to be a collective effort to uh, pick up the slack from her energy, her leadership, and like I said, all the intangibles that she brought to the team. So I know uh, the team is going to be looking to free Erlena and myself a lot this summer. And hopefully between the three of us, we're, we all three of us lead in different ways and we bring different things to the team. So I think collectively we'll be able to hopefully make up for what we lost with catch. It's going to be fascinating to see. I, I want to talk about your leadership in another way. Uh, you wrote last September uh, as uh, one of the leaders of the WNBA's effort uh, to push back and be part of, if not starting, uh, conversation on a range of topics here in America that are as important as ever. This is your quote. Basketball is what I do. It is not who I am. I will not be confined to the lines of my sport. Those who expect my teammates and I to simply play basketball are missing out on some phenomenal and educated women, women who are impacting their communities in many ways. I have a platform, and it would be a disservice not using it. My question for you is, first and foremost, since you wrote those words last September, a great deal of things have happened. You were able to participate, among other things, in the Women's March. How has your thinking about that shaped the way you've responded uh, in the months since? I think I've definitely just tried to educate myself on a lot of a lot of issues that our society is facing right now, for sure, so I can be more vocal about them. Um, looking for different areas and ways to get involved in, in the communities. I know something that, you know, Bree and I have talked about trying to do some things this summer with the fever, and, you know, when I was home for that period of time, like I said, I went to the march, um, mm-hmm went to a few just uh, other things that were going on in the D.C. area. So like just trying to educate myself the best I can and involve myself in different activities just to try to make an impact wherever I can. Is it difficult that a lot of people, um, I'm, I'm sure you, you've heard and seen this as well, feel almost disassociated from the country. It almost feels like, well, th- this is not an America that I recognize. Do you think that, do you feel that way at times in this moment, number one? And number two, is it something that you maybe feel even more watching it from overseas? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it, this isn't, I don't think the state of our country right now is anybody's America. It's not what anybody would want for our country. But at the same time, I think there's a silver lining in it, and I think a lot, it's, it's awakened a lot of people. A lot of people ha- are motivated to do more, are to, to speak up, yeah. and to, 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 to change. So I, I think that is, is a good thing. I, I see a lot of people that I don't normally see speaking up and taking action, that they're getting involved in, in various things. The, the, um, fl- the flip side of that, I guess, is when you're at the Women's March, 
take me through the emotions and, and the ways in which that enabled you to feel emotionally connected to the people who were there and, and to the country at large. You know, what, I, you know what, did it, what did it feel like for you? Yeah, it was definitely empowering. I mean, from <laughs> getting on the metro station to head down to D.C. and then getting down there and it being overwhelmingly packed. Like, you know, the, the organ- organizers of the march didn't even think as many people were going to show up that did. So they didn't. we didn't even get the march. Right. <laughs> just were able to 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 listen to this the speakers and i mean the march would have been awesome obviously they're they're actually end up did be uh side marches like down side streets and things like that but just to be there with so many people and not even just women there were there were men scattered as well but just being there there was a great energy and it did give you hope for this country that people aren't going to be silent and that these things do matter um in, in the course of the you're talking about educating yourself on different issues. Have you found specific areas that you want to target? You know, you talked about talking to Bree about uh, doing some events this summer, but I'm curious in specific where you're hoping to uh, use your public profile uh, to make the biggest impact, you know, right here in 2017. Uh, I mean, obviously being a black woman, and a person of color, those are going to be the, the areas that I'm most passionate about and I'm going to focus the most on. So obviously just educating myself on on issues that are going to affect people of color and women. And, you know, that was one thing that was pretty interesting to me being at the march just a few days removed from it was, you know, 500,000 people came out to the Women's March. But then you have marches for other causes and you don't see this same turnout or you don't see this many people you know i've been to a black lives matter uh events i've been to you know lgp lgbt events and you don't see the same people in the crowds you don't see that same diversity so you know that was something that, that kind of struck me is kind of why aren't there these same turnouts at these other events because to to have equality for everybody it has to it needs to be inclusive it can't just be for white women or black women, it has to be for everybody. If we want everybody in America to have equality and to feel safe, then it has to. It can't just be one group or or another. We have to support each and every group. Yeah, I in mean, order to make in order to make these changes and take these steps forward. It, it, it's a great point. It, it's something notable to me when you look at the protest movement in North Carolina, which in a lot of ways can be. Uh, a model for the way the country moves forward is there was a protest every single week at the Capitol and it was a different issue each week and it was making sure that progressives were there for one another and making sure that there's a cohesion to that and that it's it doesn't become uh, specialized it becomes part of a broader movement so I, I, I think the point's really well taken. I think it's important for us to have the uncomfortable conversations and to surround ourselves with people from different backgrounds and religious beliefs and political views, because there's no way to understand somebody different than me if I don't talk to them, if I don't try to learn from them. And then, you know, these discussions happen and you find out different things and why this person's way of thinking is the way it is. And then you give your point and then it, it opens up both parties' eyes to a new way of thinking. And I think that's kind of the problem with our society right now is, that everybody's so focused on on them and their beliefs and and their way of thinking being correct 
instead of finding out, okay, why is this person thinking that way? How can I help them understand my way of thinking? And how can we come to some common understanding that this is the best way to go forward in order to help everybody progress and help this country get to <laughs> to where we want it to be? Yeah, I, I mean, I was so struck, too, by the recent comments by Candace Wiggins because it absolutely was at odds to what I've seen, what I've heard, and my understanding from players and coaches alike that the WNBA essentially serves as that microcosm with that ability to bring people together of various backgrounds, of, of diversity. And, and so I don't think it's any accident that people like you, people like Brianna Stewart, people who have been in this league have the ability to appreciate a diverse America, the real America of 2017, however many people are fearful about it and are able to push back so aggressively about it. And so that led me to wondering whether you believe that that is the primary reason why WNBA players have been so great on these issues, have been able to take the lead, or if you think there are other reasons why WNBA players are particularly eloquent and particularly uh, positive and willing to and able to speak on these issues. You know, I think it's a combination of everything you just mentioned. Um, first and foremost, the WNBA always encourages everybody to, to be themselves, and I think that's why so many players, majority of the players spoke out and were so upset with Candace's comments. And as well, I think we, like I said, we are a very educated league. And I think a lot of that attributes in, to the fact that we have to finish our four years in school. And we, we know get ready and play overseas to make $10 like our male counterparts. So education does become very important. And I think that's something that our everybody's uh, colleges emphasize, they emphasize in the WNBA, like right after basketball. And I think we all take that very seriously. That's why we are all very outspoken. And you saw after every, Candace is saying, you know, Monique Curry wrote her blog, Imani yeah. wrote her blog. Everybody was speaking out. And like you said, it, they, it was, they were all powerful. They were beautifully written and, and, and spoken. And I think a lot of that is just attributes to the fact that I think we're a league that definitely tries to educate ourselves on on issues and just in general, just trying to inspire and empower a lot of people. Can I ask you specific to that, though? The issue of staying four years, the fact that uh, the rule is age 19 on the NBA side, it's age 22 on the WNBA side, this is going to come into play more and more as more and more high-profile players are transferring uh, therefore sitting out the year, and this is going to pop up on a regular basis. What do you think of that rule? And I, I, I asked it in two ways. One, about the rule that a uh, player has to wait till age 22, but the other part of it being the enormous gap and the enormous difference between how an NBA player who wants to come out early has almost two months, can go through workouts, and a WNBA player is going to have to make that choice max 10 days and often for a player like Morgan Tuck as little as, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, I think, first, I think the rule 
is is great, and I think it's necessary because there are players that probably at 19, 20 are sick of the grind of going to class and then mm-hmm. practice and then study hall. So they, they probably would want to make that jump. But it's, it's to protect us because to, to leave college and, and not finish and get your degree to go to the WNBA where the base salary is, what, $70,000? Right. That degree is going to be worth more than that when you're done playing. So I definitely think it's just to protect the players. Um, and as far as it is hard, it's it's definitely a grind going from, from one season to the next. Last year, um, my team in Turkey went all the way to the finals. Uh, I missed all of training camp. Mm-hmm. I got I got to Indiana the day of the first game. So I had maybe three days at home. So it's, it's hard. And I don't think a lot of people realize the sacrifices that we make as women's basketball players and how much of a grind it really is. I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm constantly having conversations with my friends when when I'm like complaining like oh I'm not ready to go back or I'm missing this I'm missing that and they're like risk but you know you're traveling the world you get to see this and so I think there's a common misconception that when we're playing overseas we're backpacking through Europe and seeing all the sights when, that, when it, in reality we're practicing twice a day we're traveling from this country to that country 20, 20 23 hour travel days sometimes so it's not don't get me wrong I feel extremely lucky to be doing what I'm doing but it definitely is the overseas part of it is not as glamorous as some may think it it is perfectly reasonable it seems to me to be both thankful for the job you're doing and realistic about the challenges that you face I don't think the two are mutually exclusive and uh, it's good to hear you talk about both I, I I get to my larger point about what it is to be a WNBA player today in my opinion, I'm curious what your take is, obviously matters far more than mine. It seems like there is a do-it-yourself aspect to creating your career, whether it's that combination of playing here, having to go overseas, having to make that transition from college in in a quick turnaround. All of these things are still, obviously there's support systems, obviously there's networks to go with, but there's so many things that you yourself have to do uh, that it just is not the case on the men's side. It's just not the case uh, in a lot of other sports experiences. And so when I heard about you getting more involved in Mellow Mushroom, for instance, and wanting to get involved in the restaurant business, does that, in much the same way that speaking out politically, does that just you think come naturally from by virtue of having to take so much of this responsibility into your own hands uh, in so many ways? Uh, I think so. Entrepreneurship and business ownership has always been something that I've been interested in. Uh, I actually wanted to major in business in school, but hmm. uh, a lot of the classes weren't offered in the times I needed. So it would have taken me a lot longer to graduate. Understood. So I, I decided against that. But I think we're in a un- unique situation. Obviously, it'd be it'd be nice to play our entire season at home, like the NBA, and make these millions of dollars. But um, on the flip side, like I said, it is unique. It allows us to explore a lot of other options. That if we did have the same season or responsibilities at, at, as the NBA, we might not be able to explore these options with the season being as short short as it as it is it does allow people to maybe go overseas or to do internships uh coach there there's so many different options so it, it's unique and i think 
It also allows people to plan for life after basketball yeah. if they don't go overseas. If they do go overseas, there's so much free time by yourself. You can, you know, take online classes. You can t- learn how to do different things, especially with the Internet nowadays. You can literally find out how to do anything. So I definitely think it puts us in a unique situation to explore a lot of avenues and gives us the opportunity to start planning for life after basketball. Do you feel like you have a better sense of what life after basketball is going to be than you did five years ago? And how do you define that in your own mind as of now? With with the caveat that obviously things can change. I definitely... Well, I'm one of my partners with the Mellow Mushroom uh, Project. And we definitely have plans to, within the next maybe month or two, start looking for... Uh, the location to put the one in Maryland. Then once that one opens, we're going to try to open a third one. So the plan for right now is to open three. There's a few other ideas that Elena and I uh, want to pursue business-wise. So it's just a matter of the timing and when it's going to happen. It's a lot slower process than I anticipated. The first uh, Mellow Mushroom was almost a three-year project just from getting corporate to approve our applications and certain permits and things of that nature take 90 days until you can move forward so it was a lot longer process than i anticipated but now going through it the first time it'll be much smoother for the the second and third uh I, mellow mushroom and and i've noticed of course there is uh a make your own salad a make your own pizza so a diy <laughs> aspect even uh to the mellow mushroom menu uh well listen i i'm excited uh to see you again when you come back through New York, obviously, a place where you'll be able to do some significant uh, pizza research at that time. And uh, <laughs> uh, is, is there any other aspect of your season ahead and the way you're thinking about the world in 2017 that I haven't asked you about? I don't want us to be limited by what I'm asking you. No, I think we covered a lot. Um, I'm definitely excited for this season. Uh, it's going to be a, a fresh start, I think, for everybody think people are anxious to see what life after catch is going to be like but i think she created such an amazing foundation and standard and culture for the indiana fever that there's no way it's not going to continue the way she started it especially with you look at brie brie played you know her entire career with with catch so she knows what's expected and and she knows catch better than any player on our current roster. So I think we're definitely going to continue what she started. And as far as, you know, America in 2017, um, I'm confident that everything will work out. And like I said, I think it's uh, lit a fire under a lot of people to to do more and to get out in their communities and to to be more vocal. And I I, I know the Indiana Fever backs are thinking in that. And I definitely think uh, we're going to be doing some things this summer to help – our community. Unfortunately, is my understanding that you will only be 33 years old in 2020, and thus not eligible to run for president. So we'll have to <laughs> have to wait. I, I don't. I don't know how many votes I would get. <laughs> oh, I, I, you, you do quite well, I'm sure. Well, uh, in the meantime, though, I'm very happy to uh, see you back on the court soon, and I, I wish you nothing but safest travels. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. It was good talking to you, Howard. Thank you, Marissa. And this is just a reminder to our listeners, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. Uh, I am Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day.